Hoopaholics, Coach Spins here from the Box and One podcast. Uh, we are going to once again be streaming for you guys over the airwaves today the latest version of our mock draft. This is mock draft 3.2. Uh, we'll go into the description a little bit there, but please check it out on YouTube if you're looking for video comparisons that go with every single one of these picks and breakdowns. Thank you. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One coming back to you with another mock draft. This time, checking in following the NBA's early entrant withdrawal deadline that took place on June 1st. Now we have a much better idea of who's going to be in this year's draft pool. We also have a deferred selection. The Brooklyn Nets, originally scheduled to pick 23rd, deferred that selection to a future year, meaning now the Philadelphia 76ers are turning into that spot. Let's dive in here for Mock Draft 3.2. We start here with the first overall pick, and Jabari Smith out of Auburn still seems like the guy that's going to go to Orlando. Remember, this is about what we think will happen and trying to predict the draft through our mocks, not necessarily saying who we would put in each position. Jabari Smith is not the number one overall player on our board, but we understand the buzz around him right now is an elite three-point shooter for somebody who's six foot ten, and that ability flanks well next to whoever else you have in your franchise. Jabari has gotten so much better over the last calendar year, particularly in terms of his wonderful pull-up and how he just makes tough shots in isolation. A really strong defender with switchable upside, Smith has to get a lot better at attacking the basket. That's one area that he lacks in right now. We believe in the rest of his game. Really translatable spot-up success, solid but not great defense, and the ability to just come in and be used in so many different ways, both off screens, isolation moves around the elbow, etc. He's again not our favorite guy in this draft class, but we understand the buzz and see why the Orlando Magic are rumored to be enamored with him at the first overall pick. If Jabari goes number one, nobody seems happier than the Oklahoma City Thunder, who would then get to wind up with a position of need and a potentially generational defensive talent and a guy like Chet Holmgren. This guy posted an unbelievable season shot blocking at Gonzaga last year and, and really one of the best defensive analytic seasons that we've seen at the college level in some time. The great thing about Holmgren is his versatility. He's not just a really good rim protector and shot blocker, but he does it in so many different ways. Sometimes that's by going from the weak side and protecting the basket. Others, it's in his switchable nature and playing defense on the perimeter where he can slide his feet with guards. A lot is made out of his size right now, how skinny Chet Holmgren is, and people might see that as a negative. We think that it's, it's not that large of a deal because he's just so damn competitive and fights on every possession, he knows how to overcome it. Offensively, we haven't talked much about Holmgren because he's a little bit different of a prospect to try to fit into an NBA franchise, but a creative general manager and coach can really utilize him. He shot 80% at the rim last year and did shoot almost 40% from three. This is a guy who just knows how to impact the game of basketball. Again, no change at the top three of our mock draft as we see the Houston Rockets rejoicing as well. Paolo Bancaro is the most polished scorer in this year's draft and somebody that can come in and lead a franchise on that side of the floor right away. 
So underrated for Paolo are two traits. First of all, his three-point shooting. A lot of people talk about him struggling from that third level. He actually scored 34% from three this past year, which is a solid mark. Uh, granted, he did shoot it very well in the NCAA tournament to raise that, but it's going to force defenders to come out and guard him far beyond the three-point line, which opens up his favorite part of his scoring arsenal, the pull-up in the mid-range. The second thing that's underrated about Paolo is his passing ability. While he's going to play in isolation a ton and have an offense run through him at the elbows, the blocks, and the top of the key, we feel really comfortable in projecting him to be a guy who creates for others and makes the right reads, especially when he's double teamed. Paolo's a solid defender. Not a great one, but solid. He doesn't have a natural position, but he competes. He knows how to use his length and his strength. And his physical tools are something that we'd rather bet on than some lazy film at Duke. So we're big Palo guys and think the Houston Rockets should love getting him at three. For many people, the draft starts at number four when Sacramento is on the clock and a litany of options for them, including trading, taking more risk-averse type of guys, somebody that fits in better next to De'Aaron Fox, but at the end of the day, bet on the talent. And Jaden Ivey, to us, is the clear best player still on the board, so we're going to go ahead and lump him in here at number four and think the Sacramento Kings are going to do the same. I don't necessarily care that they have three smaller guys. Ivey is both long enough and imposing enough athletically that you can't replicate the type of skills that he brings. His first step is so lethal. He just dribbles right around guys, gets to the basket, and is able to put so much pressure on the rim that the entire team is going to be defended differently. Ivy has made a lot of strides as a pick and roll facilitator, somebody who knows how to operate out of the half court, and a three-point shooter. That off-ball ability, while he likes step backs, he's not quite polished in the mid-range, but if you're able to need him to play off ball, I think Jaden Ivey is a guy that is going to be able to do it. A good pick here, fourth overall for the Sacramento Kings, especially because he is the third best player in this draft class. I think Pistons fans would have loved to have had Jaden Ivey, but Keegan Murray is starting to rise a little bit more, in my opinion, as a guy that is in real play to go fifth overall. And, and you know what? I, th I think that that's probably the best spot for him and for the Pistons. Murray is a complimentary type of guy. When you already have Cade Cunningham on your roster, you don't necessarily need to go out there and swing for the fences on another 20 point per game scorer and top option. Murray being a really, really solid and dependable second or third guy is exactly what the Pistons need, just more NBA caliber players. You can play Murray at the three or the four and drafting him here opens up the door for possibilities to get a better piece to fit next to Cade Cunningham and move on from Jeremy Grant. Now they're building with that front court of the future. They still need a bigger guy to centerpiece it, but Keegan Murray and Sadiq Bey at the three and the four make an interchangeable, shooting-wise, solid defense, and inside-outside type of game. This is a Pistons team that should be assembling a strong, long, physical, and switchable roster on the defensive end. If they're able to do that around Kane Cunningham and increase their floor spacing, it's a total win for the Pistons, and I think this is actually a really good fit for Keegan Murray as well. If the Pacers are willing to be patient with Rick Carlisle's tenure there, then I think Shaden Sharp at 6th overall is a really good fit. 
I believe in Shaden as much as I believe in, in who he is uh, right now and what he's demonstrated. I believe in swinging for upside at the top of drafts, that finding somebody who's got that superstar type of potential is important to do in the top six. And with Shaden Sharp, he's very raw and kind of a bit of a man of mystery. He has a high turnover rate out of the pick and roll, despite some solid uh, pick and roll passing that he's, he's also shown. But you can't teach the natural athleticism. Six foot 11 wingspan, huge, huge leaping ability, and it's functional in every type of way. Not only is he great in that regard athletically, but he has shown some shooting range, some confidence in scoring one-on-one, -on -one, and the ability to create for himself and others out of the pick and roll. There's so much work to be done to harness this in Shaden Sharp, but any team that's willing to be patient and put in the time, I think is going to get a really, really good gem outside of the top four in this draft. The Indiana Pacers don't have that alpha scorer on their roster, so you can understand why they'd want to bet on a guy like Sharp, but they're going to need patience. Another riser on boards here is Dyson Daniels going to Portland at 7th overall. A solid athlete, Daniels is starting to gain a little bit more traction as people buy into the jump shot a little bit more. He is super, super dependable, and I call him that Swiss Army Knife, who's a good wing or backcourt option in so many ways. First off, he's an excellent on-ball defender with really smart help instincts. Secondly, if you believe in the catch-and-shoot shot, then this is a guy that's going to be able to space the floor against anybody that you have. And in Portland, building around Damian Lillard, it's really important to find somebody who can come in and play pro-level minutes right away, space the floor, but also ease some of the offensive burden. Daniels is tall enough to play in a three-man backcourt that would feature Lillard and Anthony Simons, but what's most unique for him is that he's going to have a great career facilitating out of the pick and roll when he's not the primary scoring option. Daniels has one elite trait to him. It's not just that he's big or a good defender and good at a little bit of everything. He has an elite floater and runner. That's going to allow him to put pressure on defenses in that 5-10 to 10 foot range and open up pocket passes for another big man around the rim as a result. The New Orleans Pelicans don't have any major needs, but when you have Zion Williamson coming back into the fold from a team that pushed the defending Western Conference champions in the first round, adding three-point shooting and athleticism can never hurt you. And Benedict Matherin is a guy we think is a top eight talent in this draft class and certainly understand and believe the great fit in New Orleans is here. His three-point shooting, the ability to just spot up and knock down shots, is incredibly important for scalable offense at the next level. Combined with the fact that he's a really good movement shooter who can come off screens in either direction, and he's probably the best guy at that in this draft, and you can understand why he'd be so attractive to New Orleans. Adding that element with all of the bigger bodies that they already have, a guy like Valanchunas, Zion Williamson we mentioned, Ingram facilitating in the pinch post areas, Herb Jones and Jackson Hayes. Getting to keep that big roster by playing a guy like Matherin at the two while running off-ball movement for him, unreal. That brings us to San Antonio with their first of three first-round selections, and we have them taking Jeremy Sohan here. I think this is a swing for the fences time for the San Antonio Spurs based on the identity that they want to build. And to me, it's long and imposing defense they need somebody a little bit more in the front court that can help out with that. That's where Sohan comes in. He's the best multi-positional defender in this draft. Somebody that can guard one through five in a lot of stretches. The physical profile and the tools are impossible to teach, 
but he has a great feel for somebody that's young and fairly raw on a basketball court, understands how to rotate, protects the basket decently well, and what I loved, he made a major impact when he played the small ball five in a game earlier this year against Kansas. I think there's a role for him to do that in the NBA moving forward. The jump shot is the jump shot. It's an area that has led to a lot of people struggling with where to fit Sohan. San Antonio has a great reputation of developing shooters, and I don't think his jumper is that bad. Would love to see him here. 10th overall for the Wizards, Johnny Davis coming in from Wisconsin. He played a high volume offensive role for the Badgers this year, and he was solid within it, but he wasn't the most efficient guy. Lived in the mid-range, wasn't necessarily knocking down pull-up jumpers from three, and I don't think that he's a fantastic creator for others. But we're willing to bet on Johnny Davis in a couple ways. One is his competitiveness. He's just gonna be able to come in and compete his ass off from day one. Physically ready with a good body and frame, long wingspan, and maximizes all of his athletic tools. The thing that I like about Davis is that while carrying such a heavy offensive burden, he was a really high effort defender. Guys who do that can translate to specialists on the defensive end in the NBA. And because Davis is such a good catch and shoot prospect, didn't get to show it a ton at Wisconsin, but because I believe in him there, he'd be a great fit to play next to Bradley Beal. The Wizards would be getting a steal and a great backcourt partner with Davis at 10. Look, I get it. A.J. Griffin makes a ton of sense here for the New York Knicks, but I actually think that Tom Thibodeau is going to want to make a push for somebody a little bit more dependable, and that's O'Shea Agbaji out of Kansas, a four-year player who's going to come in, play solid defense right away, which we know Thibodeau loves, but just provide spot-up spacing. It's something this team needs as they have slower and bigger kind of focal points of their offense with guys like R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. If you can provide consistent three-point spacing and knock down shots, you can play on this next roster. I don't think that Griffin's going to be the risk tolerance that Thibodeau wants to take as he's impatient to make the playoffs right now, so Agbaji goes here at 11. Yes, folks, that opens the door for A.J. Griffin to go 12 to Oklahoma City. They wind up with an impressive haul here in the lottery with Chet Holmgren, a great defender who can clean up the mistakes of others, and A.J. Griffin, a high upside offensive threat whose biggest question right now is the defense. Look, Griffin's film on the defensive end was pretty bad, but he's still deserving of a top 15 type of selection because of how rare the combination of skills he has on offense. Physically, he's ready to play in the NBA right now with his frame and strength combination. He loves to create for himself in isolation and has a lot more upside to do that than what he showed at Duke. He was a great athlete when he played in high school with above the rim plays and dunks and using that on both ends of the floor. But right now, that catch and shoot ability is giving him a pretty high floor where at the very least you can spot him up in the corners and find a role for him offensively. I think Griffin is really good value in the later part of the lottery and the Oklahoma City Thunder, the right team to take a swing on him at 12th overall. Sam Presti needs floor spacing eventually. This is one area that the Thunder lacked last year. Griffin can come in and provide that right away. Somewhat large of a slide from uh, the last mock draft that we've put out there, Jalen Duran falling to 13th overall to the Charlotte Hornets. There was a point in time when we thought Charlotte was going to have to try to trade up in order to get Duran at this spot. But right now, with the way things are trending, some other risers in the draft and how we feel a little bit more comfortable with a guy like Sohan or A.J. Green, 
excuse me, A.J. Griffin, that puts Jalen Duran in prime position to go to Charlotte at 13. And honestly, it's a match made in heaven. They need a defensive anchor, somebody that can play drop coverage, and maybe even switch on the perimeter in some late lineups because they have some physical guys in the front court like P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges who can also handle switching onto bigs. The thing that I love most about Duran is his athleticism. He's going to be the perfect pick-and-roll partner for LaMelo Ball in the long term. Throw lobs up to him, hit him on the short roll with some pocket passes. He crashes the offensive glass incredibly well and cleans up the mistakes for others. He's super young. He didn't play with a great pick-and-roll partner at Memphis, but the natural traits and abilities that he has athletically, how he's going to be able to fit in the pick-and-roll and provide them some much-needed defensive anchoring is really important. The Hornets are going to need to give Duran a little bit more patience because he is so young, and big men take a little bit longer to develop in the NBA. But we think this is a no-brainer pick if he's still available at 13th overall. We don't buy into having Malachi Branham as a top 25 player on our board. We certainly understand the lottery appeal. He got so much better as the season went on and has, again, a decently high floor because he can shoot 40% on catch and shoot looks as he did this past year at Ohio State. As the season went on, he ate up a much larger role of the offense, and he did so in his own unique way, using more slow down physical drives to get to his mid-range shots and taking a ton of jumpers from the 8 to 18 foot range. But if you believe that pull-up jump shooting is the, the sign of a great individual scorer that really can anchor an offensive option, then Branham makes a lot of sense. And Cleveland, they're going to need a little bit more scoring and help on the wings. It's something they lack right now. I think Darius Garland does a little bit too much offensive creation, and I still worry long-term about the size issues with him and Colin Sexton. Branham is a tough bucket waiting to happen. He has to improve defensively, and I think a little bit on the athletic side, particularly in the half court. But if we're betting on upside at 14th overall, you can certainly understand why he would be a solid fit and a hometown boy for Cleveland to prioritize. Sticking with that same concept of swinging for high-volume scorers at the NBA level early, Jaden Hardy is a guy that's actually in the top seven on our big board. We think that uh, he's going to go a little bit higher than a lot of the mocks currently suggest. We have him slotted right here 15th to Charlotte. Let's talk about two things first. Is, is, is Hardy, right? How good is he? Uh, I think he's a fantastic three-level scorer. People don't, uh, don't talk enough about how hard it is for somebody who's 18 years old to come in and anchor an offense at the professional level. He lacked efficiency because he had to play on such high volume and in a, a horridly spaced offense. But he's a really good catch-and-shoot threat who made almost 40% of his catch-and-shoot threes in the half court. He's a really good one-on-one -on -one scorer with three-level upside and underrated feel out of the pick-and-roll. Second here, let's talk a little bit about the fit in Charlotte. I think that they're going to continue to need just guys that space the floor effectively and can go out there and create their own shot in moments when the mellow ball doesn't or can't have the ball in his hands. He's going to command so much attention from other defenses that you want that guy to come in and be balanced in terms of scoring and playmaking. That's Hardy. 16th overall to Atlanta is one of the late risers in this draft process, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. And there's really no reason why he was slept on so much throughout the regular season, other than the fact that he was kind of out of sight, out of mind at Santa Clara. Six foot five with a huge 7-2 wingspan. Williams has three-level scoring potential and is a really good passer. 
that means that he can and likely should be able to at some point play with the ball in his hands. And again, the top part of drafts, I still believe that this is what you draft for. And at the end of the day, what's going to help a lot of teams move to the next level is adding another guy who has role player floor, but high caliber ceiling. Williams was really good this year shooting the three ball both in terms of off the dribble and in catch and shoot. But it's his medium game that makes us so excited. A dependable floater, really physical in use of the hostage dribbles when he's coming off the pick and roll, and has that length and ability to change directions, change speed and traffic to get all the way to the rim. We're big fans of Jalen Williams, just did another rewatch after our initial scouting report and believe that he should be easily a top 15 or 16 player in this draft class. The Atlanta Hawks could use another playmaker. That's why he would make a ton of sense if he's still available, and I think would be a great fit at 16. With the Rockets gaining so many impressive scorers in Jalen Green and Paolo Bancaro earlier in this mock, I think that they need to go for a little bit more of a facilitator, somebody that fits their long-term timeline and has a lot of upside, but can be more of a point uh, wing while also providing solid defense. Usman Jang has great athletic tools, but he doesn't use them in an imposing physical above the rim style. He plays super fluid for somebody of his size and length, is able to move and handle with the basketball, and has a great floater and touch. We used to be turned off by the lack of physicality, but he plays a finesse driven game. And at the NBA level, you surround him with a little bit more spacing and just let him operate out of pick and rolls, he can turn into something really special. I do believe there is a little bit of isolation potential, and I do worry about the catch and shoot jumper. But at the end of the day, this is a Nick Batum type of player, really long defender, can crowd defenders and, and cross match in the backcourt, but also be somebody who creates for himself and others. If you buy into the, the catch and shoot stuff, which eventually he's gonna be able to gain consistency there, then this is a home run pick at 17. The Houston Rockets timeline, they should still be swinging for the fences. Nobody is hurt more by the slide of Jalen Duran out to the 13th pick than Mark Williams, somebody who should firmly be in play in that spot. Now, I think Williams is gonna be a trade-up candidate, meaning if he's still unavailable at the 14 through 16 spots, somebody's gonna to wanna to move up and try to grab him. But if he's not available for that, and somebody's willing to wait, Chicago at 18 is the perfect landing spot for him. I think that Chicago needs a rim protector and somebody that can come in and play that defensive-minded style while Vucevic does a lot of it on the offensive end. Williams is ready to come in and play right away on the defensive end, and offensively, his role is very clear. He's a screen and roll, finished big man who's good in the dunker spot or off the pick and roll. He led the NCAA in dunks last year and has an impressive standing reach where he's only three inches away from touching the rim when he's just standing on the floor. That quick leaping ability pairs with pretty much anybody. We believe that he's gonna be a really solid, dependable NBA player. Have him borderline top 10 on our board, and 18 would be a real steal if somebody's able to get Mark Williams. Again, Chicago, this is the perfect fit for them. EJ Liddell has a second round grade from us, and we'll tell you why in a moment, but with Minnesota, they need two things. One, defense. They need help on the defensive end, somebody with a high IQ, somebody who can rotate around and make up for the mistakes for others. Liddell can definitely be that guy. Uh, great instincts, phenomenal shot blocker for his size. Played a little bit of that rim protector role at Ohio State. And he's a little bit more switchable, a little bit more of that Grant Williams type of versatility with his size and his strength, but it's the help defense that's really attractive for Minnesota. And the second thing that they need 
is somebody that can play a little bit more off ball. And Liddell has grown as a jump shooter this year. He shot about 37% from three. And, and that ability to be a solid catch and shoot guy is really important. The rest of the usage from Liddell at Ohio State isn't quite translatable to being a scorer or an option to facilitate offense in the NBA. I love his high IQ feel in passing, but he was used way too much out of the post at Ohio State. That's not going to be his usage in the NBA, particularly on a team that already has creators like the Minnesota Timberwolves. Liddell's best asset is being able to come in and guard physical guys. He can cross-match with Carl Anthony Towns and provide some relief for him on the defensive end of the floor. I think that's what Minnesota has to be drafting for in the first round if they're trying to win the Western Conference. Another guy who's sliding on draft boards, another match made in heaven. Ty Ty Washington fits the San Antonio Spurs organization to a T. Really good kid, charitable with his time off the floor, and dependable in so many ways from a leadership perspective. Washington is miscast a little bit when people talk about him as more of a spot-up threat. I think of him as more of a pure point guard, somebody who passes with the ball in his hands and is meant to be able to make decisions for others. The Spurs are still searching for a little bit of offensive juice in their backcourt. They drafted Josh Primo a year ago with the intention that he would be that guy, but Washington can come in and provide stability in that lineup in ways that I don't think Primo can, where he's a little bit more high risk, high reward. Washington's a dependable facilitator and creator, and he loves the mid-range pull-up. That's gonna be his spot. I think he's one of the two or three best in this draft class at scoring at around 15 feet. He's not great athletically, but he has long arms, and more than anything is an incredibly smart basketball player. Surround him with guys that know how to play, and he's gonna bring out the best of them. San Antonio also has the defensive infrastructure to hide some of his weak points. Look, if Washington's still available at 20, anybody should take him. Tim Connolly has left Denver, so these high upside, swing for the fences type of draft picks might not be here. Marjan Beauchamp is the right combination of a swing for the fences guy and immediate impact where he can come in and help a team right away. He's 21 years old, incredibly physically built and polished athletically, but he can come in and play a defensive stopper role on the wing from day one. The athletic profile is certainly what we highlight here with a guy like Bochamp. Knows how to cut off the ball, is very good at attacking the basket, and if he can continue to be consistent from three, he didn't shoot the ball great this year, but his form is pretty dependable as far as we're concerned, then he can play off ball next to Jokic. He's gonna get a ton of dunks by back cutting and twirling around actions, but there's so much potential for him to be more eventually as he continues to develop his game. From the very beginning, Dalen Terry out of Arizona was clear. He was only going to stay in this draft if he felt comfortable that he would be a first-round prospect. And my goodness, he's staying in this draft, so we certainly believe that he's going to find his home in the top 30 selections. I love Dalen Terry. Really impactful player in so many different ways. Six foot seven, long arms, good defender, great passer, and has turned himself into a consistent catch-and-shoot threat. The ability to be a cross-matching guard who defends at the point of attack is important for this Memphis team because they're going to need to find ways to blanket John Morant in different coverages or based on matchups in the postseason. Terry is that Swiss Army knife, high IQ type of player who just makes things happen. I think the Grizzlies love guys like that and can understand why he would be a priority for them to take here at 22nd overall. They may have more important team needs. They may need somebody a little bit more dependable to come in and play right away. But with two first round picks, 
use the first on a high upside guy like Terry and then go for that immediate impact at 29. Whether this is based on gut feeling or based on intel, we can see Tari Eason having a little bit of a slide on draft night. The feel really just isn't there for him while the natural tools are insane. I think the Philadelphia 76ers want to assemble a roster of athletes and defenders around Joel Embiid and Eason can come in and at least play that role right away where he's not going to be asked to do too much on the offensive end. In a switchable context guarding 1-4 through four and sometimes 1-5, through five, Eason is one of the better in this draft class. Athletically, on the offensive end, he's very good slashing and attacking the basket, but only to his right hand. He gets the free throw line a ton and was productive on a per minute basis. The jump shooting is the concern, both in terms of catch and shoot areas and in pull-ups. I think it limits his offensive arsenal as well as his lack of feel. Eason at 23 to Philly would be a solid fit for a developmental project. Championship contending teams always want to bet on toughness. Christian Brown is the very definition of toughness and really cockiness personified, and we love that about a guy like Brown. A very good role player and athlete who can come in here and impact the game in just so many different ways. He shoots 40% on his catch and shoot looks in the half court, but it's the athleticism that's underrated for me that allows him to be a fantastic on-ball defender, both against guards and wings. Six foot seven moves his feet pretty well, and he's able to crowd guys' airspace without fouling and without giving up the ability to be blown by. He wears guys out because of how physically and how close to them he, he defends them. Combine that with the fact that this is a Milwaukee team that was short into this postseason in terms of three-point jump shooting ability, and you can see where Brown could come in and play right away. Anybody who can shoot and defend is going to have a role on this Milwaukee Bucks team next to Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think Brown is certainly that guy. We'd love to have him to the mix for the Milwaukee Bucks. Just a really solid, dependable role player that you can find at 24. Frankly, there's no way the Spurs can afford to put three first-round draft picks on their roster next year. By getting Sohan and Ty Ty Washington a little bit earlier, we think they need to go the international route for a draft and, strat, da, draft and stash prospect. Easy for me to say. Nikola Jovic is that guy for us out of Mega, a former top five guy on our board. The defense is just really hard for him to overcome to be more than a role player at the NBA level. But the Spurs are going to need long-term help in their front court in terms of playmaking and just a unique piece. I think Jovic can be that guy, a self-creator, a really, really good passer. And while he was inconsistent at the start of the season from three, he does have the ability to be a solid catch-and-shoot guy. Again, one of those offensive pieces that comes in and unlocks your, your front court in some ways, but doesn't give you much defensively. I think Jovic is a long-term guy worth investing in. The Dallas Mavericks are on the cusp of competing for an NBA championship. I think they're going to make some moves around the margins to add a little bit more talent, particularly at the big man level. So if they can have a rim protector that comes to Dallas this offseason, I think that they need to prioritize shooting in the draft. And Jake LaRavia has one of the sweetest strokes out there. He's still young, not yet 21 years old, but a good catch-and-shoot guy with a quick wrist flick and the ability to space the floor next to Luka Doncic. He's also really smart. At 6'8", 
He didn't run a lot of primary options as a pick and roll guy, but found ways to get assists and create for others. More of a power than a quick driver, he's gonna thrive on floor spacing around him and be somebody that, if teams try to hide a smaller guy on him with how they guard Luka Doncic, can physically overpower those little guards both off the bounce and operating out of post-ups. Not necessarily the, the guy that we're fond of the most, but we understand the fit and think that he would be a really solid role player for the Dallas Mavericks to target in the later part of the first round. Miami Heat have a tendency to like two types of players, really good athletes or three-point shooters. I don't think that they are expecting an instant impact from whoever they would draft here at 27, which is why Josh Minot stands out to me as the right type of long-term flyer for the Miami Heat to take. He is a great athlete who thrives in the open floor. He can play a little bit of that P.J. Tucker role in a couple years once P.J. is gone. He's got to work a ton on his jumper, but in terms of being an underrated playmaker, a great defender, physically gifted in a lot of different ways, Minot makes a ton of sense. He might be the most raw guy to go in the first round of this year's draft class, and there are some uh, draft pundits and experts out there who believe that he may even go a little bit higher. One of the things about Minot is he just has what you can't teach, and if you're patient with him, I think that he's going to be able to provide a good return on investment. He needs time, and to me, giving him a four-year first-round contract is the right way to provide that time and stability to know that he's going to learn. A raw prospect, we'd love to see Minot end up in Miami, where their system and spacing is going to really allow him to pop. At this point in the first round, you could see a billion different guys go on draft night just based on what the drafting team has looked for. I'd say that there are probably 20 to 30 guys that you could justify taking from 25 onward. And Wendell Moore stands out as somebody that would fit well with what the Golden State Warriors are and are looking for. Instant impact to come in and be a very solid, dependable playmaker. Wendell Moore is more of a point wing than he is anything else. He can score a little bit off the bounce and does have a little bit of comfort creating his own shot, but his best trait is being a facilitator for others while having a bigger frame and body to guard multiple different positions. I like more, but don't love him. Think he's more of a role player guy and not necessarily a great athlete. We, we don't trust a ton out of his time at Duke, but if he's able to turn into a solid pull-up shooter, he can definitely play with the ball in his hands at the next level, and I think is the right type of role player that blends into the Golden State Warriors system. At 29, we have Max Christie out of Michigan State going here to the Memphis Grizzlies, and we're actually big fans of Christie. We have him inside the top 20 on our personal uh, big board. And one of the reasons for that is because of the scalable off-ball role that he plays in a really good catch-and-shoot prospect, despite the fact that he had a streaky and inconsistent year at Michigan State. He's the typical 3-and-D type of guy. Really good shooter, spotting up in the corners, but also very good if you were to run him off of different types of screening actions. I think that's one thing the Memphis Grizzlies offense could use a little bit more of, shooting gravity from movement guys. And Christie is a good long-term bet to be able to come in and do that eventually, whether it's handoffs or whether it's just wide pin downs and other types of actions. Christie impressed me a lot on the second watch. In terms of his individual defense, I think he's going to be a solid on-ball defender and be willing to bet on him at the next level.
with the last pick in the first round, the Oklahoma City or Thunder are on the clock for the third time. And while I think it's highly likely that they trade this pick and don't end up keeping three selections in the first round, I think Christian Coloco would be a guy here that either teams would target via trade-up or would be the right type of guy for Oklahoma City to get. They still are going to need a long-term option at the five, even if they draft Chet Holmgren. Finding somebody that's mobile enough to potentially play a little bit of switchable defense, but also be that reliable rim protector in the moments that Chet doesn't play or they have him on the perimeter is really important. I like Coloco. I don't love Coloco, but understand the upside here. He's already 22, and guys who are big men of his age rarely go in the first round. But he had a fantastic defensive season at Arizona this year, has a great motor on the offensive glass, and a very dependable, projectable role as a screen and finish big at the next level. If Oklahoma City finds Coloco still available, they could do a lot worse.